Howdy, folks. Welcome back to Rally Sportsman Show. Today, we have a part two with Brian Amundsen, bow hunting the West, okay? Uh, this is a lot of fun to record. I know I said that last week, and I hope you guys are waiting eagerly for this episode to drop because I am just as excited as you to drop it because this is a, a lot of fun to record, a lot of good information, and uh, yeah. But first, we need to talk about my Instagram. You need to be following it. <laughs> it is at... Uh, Willie's Sportsman Show on Instagram. You can uh, stay up to date with my podcast. You can stay up to date with me and what I'm doing when it comes to the outdoors. Um, it's all on there. So don't be afraid. Drop me a follow at Willie's Sportsman Show. And make sure while you're on in- while you're on Instagram, check out my friends at Relevant, okay? They are pr- like providing some of the best science-based solutions for the outdoor enthusiasts. You can check them out at relevant.life. Sadly, their account is down right now. So it's kind of a bummer. Because I, you know, I like looking at what they have to post. And I don't know when that that's coming back, but they are still on Facebook. Um, and yeah, you can give them a, a check out at uh, Facebook. And make sure if you use their website or like you go to buy something, you use code Welly at checkout. You can save 10% on your purchase, okay? Um, but they make some great products, guys. Check them out at, you know, relevant.life. Or if you just want to look for the website, you can look up relevant sunglasses, relevant.life. It's all there. But make sure you check them out. They're a huge uh, supporter of the show, and I thank them for everything they do, especially coming out and having sweet products because their products, oof, top-notch. Next up, let's talk about My Week in Review. So My Week in Review, you know, obviously it's it's school time, so um, I only have two days a week to really do stuff. And I went muskie fishing this last week, and I caught my second muskie. It was a ton of fun. Uh, I know I was trying to have the, the musky boys on to talk about it a little bit, so I'll try to keep it on the down low uh, as far as uh, what happened. There is a video on Instagram, so I guess that kind of gives it away, but I'll go into more detail when I do talk with them about it. But I caught my second one. It's my biggest one, and it was a ton of fun weekend. Like, it was a, it was a really fun weekend. Um, Really cold, though. <laughs> but, hey, man, that's part of, the, part of the grind, so I respect it. I respect it, but... I uh, hope you guys are excited for this episode with Brian Amundsen. You know, you know I am. I, you know, I'll be listening to this one as soon as it drops Wednesday morning. But uh, <laughs> uh, here it is, Brian Amundsen, part two. Like, where do you sleep when you're on these hunts? Do you sleep in your uh, yeah. Truck so or? that's a good question. So I usually so on. It depends on the hunt I'm going on. So if I'm going by myself, I do a different setup than if I'm going with other people. So when I when I go with other people, it's typically one or two friends that I, I'm really close with um, that we hunt a lot already together and then some family members. So usually my dad, maybe a brother or two. Um, and so when I'm going with a few different guys, we, we do the wall tent usually, you know, set up the wall tent. Um, it's got a stove in there, kind of the classic, you know, elk hunt or whatever, you know, and we set up the wall tent stove and have a cooking area and everything. Um, and we bring cots and, or some people just sleep on the floor and that's what we do, you know, when we go out to Wisconsin for a week or Montana for a week as a crew. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty simple, you know, um, just doing the wall tent. Otherwise that's usually when it's colder. If it's going to be a little warmer, we'll just bring a regular tent or something like that um eventually i'd like to get like a trailer and have kind of a you know trailer that i can throw some bunks in you know that type of deal but that's that's a long ways down the road for me um but when i'm solo i usually i'm living out of the truck and i like to be very mobile so 
I'll, I'll usually bring a tent because it's a lot more comfortable for me to sleep on the, on the ground flat than in the truck. But it only takes about five minutes to pack up a tent, but man, do I hate to do it. You know, it's just, it's one of those things that where I'm, I hate to admit it, but I'm a pretty lazy person. And (laughs) if I don't have to pack up a tent, I don't want to. So, um, I'll sleep in the back of the truck sometimes, you know, but the problem with that is I usually got so much shit back there that it's hard to fit. Um, so a lot of times I just lay the seat back all the way and it's not the most comfortable, but I don't need (laughs) the most comfort. And I, Mm -hmm. I bring a big old open cell phone pad and I throw a sleeping bag down and sleep right in the driver's seat. And then in the morning I just fire up the truck and you know, it got pretty cold on this past hunt some morning. Mm-hmm. So you fire up the truck, go back to sleep for 10 minutes, a nice toasty in the cap, you know? So <laughs> and, just and pack l- it up and call it good. Lucky you too. Cause you're tall. So you can't fully extend out in the back seat. Like I know that like that me personally, I might be able to do it. I might be able to pull it off. You know, I'm sure yep. enough. <laughs> I tried it one time in Wisconsin. I tried to sleep in the back seat. I've got a crew cab, you know, mm-hmm. that I just couldn't fit. And then, unfortunately the truck i bought um i bought it from my dad but it's only got a five and a half foot bed so you know and i'm six four so yeah i gotta sleep sideways but then (laughs) i man you know it's not like i bring a lot of stuff but once you get a couple coolers and action packer and and a shovel and and a spare in the back you know it's it's hard to and i don't have a deck system or anything back there as of now you know i might have to build something eventually but that'd be pretty cool um yeah and that that's certainly in the cards for the future mm-hmm. um but yeah for now i just sleep in right in the cab and it's not comfortable but i don't really need that much comfort you know i just kind of get the job done um so that's kind of my sleeping otherwise you know like i said I, i'll throw a tent out and yeah. tent it out if i'm going to stay in an area for a while pretty pretty cool yep uh so I wrote down a question when we were talking about this. So how do you hold water uh, when you're on these hunts? Do you put it, you know, you bring a big case of water, you have yep. a big old bladder. Like, what are you doing? That's a great question. Um, I'll start off with, I drink a lot of water. Um, I drink a gallon of water a day minimum. Dang right. Um, Gotta stay hydrated. Right. And it, it certainly is essential to me. Um, and I guess pretty much all I drink is water. So, and as you know, fitness, that is key to be, hydrated and it helps with everything so on these hunts i'll usually have a big cooler and so like when i was out in wyoming and it's 103 degrees out you need some ice right away for for an animal that you're going to harvest so what i like to do is i have a big cooler and i'll take milk jugs um well this is actually what i did i've done for a long time is i take milk jugs i fill them up almost full you know and then you freeze them so it expands so you can't fill them all the way up but anyways um, and I'll freeze anywhere from however many I can fit in the cooler, basically. So I'll have this big cooler for my game meat, and then I'll have a couple small coolers, you know, just, I don't even know what they would be. Or maybe they're real small coolers, just enough for, you know, some day food and stuff like that. But my big coolers for stuff that I don't need right away in the day, you know, and then for meat that I get. So I'll, I'll freeze, I like to freeze gallon jugs of water, lay them in the cooler, and then that's pretty much what I leave my water in there and then other food that I'm going to eat later on. And then as the week progresses, I'll stack those high, you know, I'll stack, pack the cooler completely full. As the week progresses, I'll take one of those gallon waters out. I'll just set it in the cab and they have ice cold water throughout the day, you know, and then, so that's kind of my long-term water source. I also carry, I usually um, buy like a 40 rack of waters, you know, just the disposable half um what is it half liter liter bottles whatever it is 
um, just the regular, you know, five bucks for 40 of them, easy peasy, grab a few of those and down them. And then I like to carry just normal water bottles. I, I have a lot of Nalgene water yeah. bottles that I just refill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, especially if I'm going to go out for the day, I'll, I'll carry four or five. I'll usually carry a gallon to a gallon and a half of water in my backpack with me. Yeah. Um, and so just the Nalgene bottles, but yeah, that, that gallon of water trick works pretty slick. I actually, this recent hunt, I changed it up and I went to fleet farm. They've got these gallon, um, it's like a water bottle, but it's a gallon basically. And they, they freeze super well. They've got a handle on the top. They're easy to pour and they, they stack super well in the cooler. So that's probably what I'll be doing in the future. They're a buck a piece. Um, and I did the same thing, you know, I just put them in the cooler, took one out when I needed it and it keeps it pretty stupid simple. Cause I'm a pretty dumb guy. So I just gotta, <laughs> I gotta keep it real simple for me. Yeah. You ever seen those, uh, ice packs that are called like Arctic ice packs that keep things like colder than ice. Like that's what they're advertised as. And they have like a different series. So they have like a day tripper kind of thing. One that keeps things like on in between frozen and then, you know, cold. And then they yeah. have one that's actually like, it's like keeps your cooler at freezer temperatures they're pretty dang cool i saw a couple of them oh huh. yeah. i'll have to i'll have to look into that yeah. i i'll send you the link after I, this yeah i haven't i haven't heard of that but um certainly something that i'd be interested in learning more about i think the system i've got going right now works pretty well mm-hmm. um the only i guess the only downside is you know you're taking your 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 ice out of your cooler but unless it's a you know unless it's like that goat hunt and it's up upward to 80 degrees usually you know, it's pretty cool and your, your yeah. ice doesn't melt too quick. Yeah. And you don't so. have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Just like putting yep. an ice pack in your cooler when you go ice fishing just doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So yeah, I did that once, believe it or not. Hey, that'll happen. That'll <laughs> yeah. happen to the best of us. Yeah, it is. It's a true blonde moment. And you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I'm assuming you, when you go on these hunts, you do some glassing, correct? Oh yeah. That is, that is, a. Uh... That's a big portion of it for sure. I, I could see that. And uh, could you explain the glassing process? Uh, could you talk about your setup for a little bit? And then, you know, any tips or tactics uh, to help you spot game? Yeah, so my glassing process, I guess, really starts when I'm at home um, with, like, my mapping system. So I guess not to get too far into it, but I start my hunts and I figure out where I want to hunt by looking at what public land is there, what land I have to hunt. And from there I'll draw a tag and then I, I map scout. Um, so just online, you know, and I put a ton of waypoints down of different areas that look good. You know, I like to use like a hybrid topo with a satellite imagery overlay. And really I keep it stupid simple. I look for the high points and I just mark them, you know, and from there, I'll kind of narrow it down. Where can I see? Well, what do I think is going to hold deer, antelope, whatever you're hunting? And I just go from there. So like this recent trip to South Dakota, I drove into a place I'd never been before, never seen it in the daylight when it, you know, I drove in super late, um, and got in, you know, got into the area at like one in the morning. And then I got up at like five 30 and hiked into this area. I'd never been before just by headlamp. And I got into this glassing point and sure as shit, it was right where I needed to be. And, I saw over a hundred deer from the glassing point, you know, and so glassing is essential, I think, for out west, depending on the terrain you're in. So that's pretty much what the way I start with that is just finding good glassing points, which is usually the high areas, and looking into a lot of drainages or or where they're going to be going to and coming from. So you know, 
animals, stupid, simple, you know, they're bed to food, food to bed. That's basically it. So like where I was out West on this recent hunt, you know, it's a lot of drainages with, um, with a big drainage in the middle and small fingers going out. So the deer are going to be in the bottom of those feeding on that lush, um, foliage in the, in the bottoms real when they come down there to feed at night and they'll feed in there all night and in the morning. And then during the day, they go back into the draws and bed in the shade. Right. Um, so just try and figure out where they're going to be in the morning and where they're going to be, um, during the middle of the day and try to see where they're coming to going from. So when you're looking for these spots, just, you know, let's say you're using, uh, Onyx topographic maps. Yep. So like, yep. what are those features that stand out and make you say, Hey, I need to go here. And then what sets like some of those spots apart from the rest? So, you know, obviously when you're looking at all this, this big piece of public land, what, what really makes you say, Hey, this is exactly where I want to go. And it's better than this spot for, you know, this reason. Right. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of different things, but some of the, some of the basic things, that aren't necessarily rules, but just things to keep in mind, like roads. Um, there's a lot of road hunters out west. People don't like to get out and walk around, which is kind of interesting because you think you'd go out there to walk around, which is what I do, you know. But uh, a lot of people road hunt, so it's not a bad tactic. I've done it before. It works really well, but I like to get out and walk. So usually I'll start with just looking. Um, well, I guess to start with, I, I look at what kind of a hunt I want to have. So out west, when I was mule deer hunting, I wanted to hunt kind of broken up top um, topographical country. So, you know, a lot of elevation and stuff. I didn't want to hunt flat land that was just rolling hills or something like that. You know, I wanted more elevation where I could glass better. So I found an area like that. I looked for a little more forest, a little more mountainy type country. And from there, I decide where I want to hunt within it. So I kind of decide what kind of hunt I want to have. And then I, and then I work from there. So once I found this area that I like to hunt, which was a little more, you know, the pines and big draws, you know, not a lot, but I'd say the elevation change. I think it was from the bottom of the, the basin that I hunted primarily to the top was about 300 feet elevation difference. So not huge, but certainly a good amount for South Dakota. And then from there, I look, um, where the roads are. And I keep that in mind because a lot of guys are just going to be buzzing on the road and hopping out and looking real quick. And so if I can pack in even a mile, that's a long ways for a lot of people. But if you're in decent shape, that don't take but, you know, 15 minutes to walk out there, you know. So it's pretty easy to get off the roads. And then from there, I just look at what kind of country I think I can glass well. So if it's super thick timber, I know I'm not going to be able to glass very well on that. But if it's nothing but grass, um, I, I don't think there's going to be as many deer there. So like the country I was looking at, it had a, it had a variety of shrubbery and, and trees, but also a lot of open country that was broken up. So that's kind of where I start. And really you just got to get out there and see what it looks like because the area where I found a bunch of deer, the first day I was in Sodak, um, this last trip, I thought, I, I thought it was be questionable because it was right off the road, but nobody, nobody even drove by on the two track because we had a bunch of snow and rain and it was all tore up and I had to, I had to chain up to get in there. Um, and nobody ended up coming back in there. So you can't really set hard, fast rules on it, but just keep that in mind. Um, once you get out there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty dang cool. How, uh, you know, kind of pick, pick the hunt you want. That's, uh, that's something you don't get to do a whole lot. That's pretty cool. Right. So you want to talk about glassing strategy, like, you know, you know where you're kind of looking, but do you have any like tips? Like I know Steven Ronella, he was talking about uh, 
having like a grid pattern. Is that something you do or do you have any other tips that kind of like that are kind of like yep. that? Yeah. So just keep it simple, you know? So once you're out there, um, the best times of glass are going to be morning and evening, right? Like that's when all the animals are going to be out. So when I first get out to a spot or let's say it's midday, you know, and I'm just walking through or something. The first thing I always do is just do a quick, quick glass around in those areas that you think deer are going to be because that's usually where you're going to see them you know in the bait in the bottom of the drainages you know just looking for obvious deer out there or antelope or whatever you're looking for so just go real quick look over everything real quick and then from there i'll start breaking it down like a grid um and looking for more specific things because you can look over a lot of animals if you're not taking your time um which i've done before is you 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 rush through it and you miss animals that are super obvious just as last <laughs> Man, this is kind of embarrassing, but this just this last trip to South Dakota, I I snuck in um, to a part of this basin and and I was looking in and I I spotted I think I had eight does in the bottom of this drainage about three hundred yards and I was just looking them over and and they're looking all good and I just did a quick glass around them and I'm like oh I don't see anything well I'm sitting there for about fifteen minutes looking at these deer and finally I'm like okay I'm gonna work off so I kind of scoot back over the hill. And I just glass over there one more time. And I was out of sight of where these does were. But right under this riverbank was a nice um, mature mule deer buck just looking at me. He'd been watching me the whole time. And it they pop out of there once you find them. But I, I looked over him probably 10 times when I was glassing before just because I got lazy. You know, I, I wasn't taking my time. And he was tucked in there. And he, it was one of those deer that was in a perfect position for a stock. You know, you come up where the top, the wind was perfect. Um, and it would have been about a six yard shot and I just blew it because I, I, I went too fast and didn't take my time. So I'd say just being patient and, and taking your time is, is a big key to glassing and, and you'll kind of find what works for you once you get out there and do it a little more. Yeah, that's uh that's pretty helpful. Thank you for that. Yep. So, you know, you're talking about, you can pick the type of hunts you got, uh, or, you know, the type of hunt you want. So do you prefer hunting in the open country type of hunts or a backwoods type of area? Uh, and then how do you personally excel in each? It's a good question. So I like a variety of both, I guess. You know, I kind of like all types of different hunting. But when I go out west, I usually like a little more open country. Um, just because in Minnesota, it's all timber and thick. Um, but I, I do a lot of, I do the majority of my hunting in Minnesota and Wisconsin as of now, just cause I can't get out West that much. So I think the, the biggest key to both of those is going to be scouting and being prepared for it. So out West in open country, I can't get out there to scout in the summer months and stuff. And I don't think it's necessarily important to get out there and scout during the summer months. If you can't, I think a big thing is just, um, going over your online maps and being prepared once you get out there and try to give yourself a day or two, drive all the roads, learn the area and just, um, keep those more outdoorsman skills at hand when those, with those Western hunts. So you got to know a little bit more about, actually, you don't, you don't need to know more about deer tactics and, or, or behavior, but you need to put a little more effort in during the hunt when you're out West, you know, back home in Minnesota here, with a little more timber, it's a lot of scouting. So I do a lot of scouting in the in the winter months as much as I can because the timber's open and you can see a lot more of those terrain features that you're looking for, you know, those ridges, saddles, you know, little depressions or um, other rut features, you know, just a lot of different 
features you can find in the middle of winter. So I'll, my, my hunt is pretty much year round and, and it's, it's a lot of scouting and that's how I excel. So, and that's something that there's no golden, you know, formula or like secret to it. It's just, you just got to get out there and learn, you know, because it's, it's more of an art than the science deer hunting is. It's, it's more just continually being out there and learning more and more. So especially in Minnesota, it's a lot of preseason scouting. Um, in the winter and then it's a lot of in-season scouting so looking for fresh sign and hunting the hot areas you know if you're sitting on a if you're sitting on a ridge and you're seeing deer moving 200 yards away might as well get down and move around and um, hunt a different area you know move over to where the deer are at you know don't don't necessarily get in the mindset of just sitting in one spot um, and never moving around because I think a lot of people do that I used to do that and my success has increased a ton by just being able to be mobile and moving into areas that you scout during the season um, and where you're seeing deer. So that's a that's a very broad, general idea of of how to excel in each, you know, is just being prepared and scouting a lot. Yeah, that's, uh, that's some pretty good information. So, you know, when we're talking open country here, how the heck do you get close enough to these animals, you know, when it's big, wide open? How do you get close enough to them to make a shot with a boat? Like, it just seems insane that- to me sometimes i wonder that too um actually a lot of the time especially with antelope their eyes are so good people will see i've heard it's like their eyes are like 10 power binoculars you know they're incredible eyesight and it it, i think it's just a game of numbers right now um i'm not that great at spot and stock i've i've done it a fair amount um but it's a game of numbers and picking the right stocks and so once you find an animal you, you got to know if you can get an arm or not and don't waste your time on a, cause a stock will take a few hours usually, you know, um, if not a full day, I spent full days on a single deer or a single antelope. And if you're not picking the right stock, you might just be wasting time. Um, so the biggest thing would be finding them, see them without them seeing you, you gotta stay out of sight because if you can see them, they can see you. So once you find them, you gotta make a good, a good route to them. And the biggest thing with that would be the wind, um, the wind direction i think um these animals especially deer their their noses are their biggest um biggest defense even better than their eyes you know um goats are a little more eyes than nose and they'll they'll get a little more cocky because their eyes are so so good um that they'll they'll play that but i've been winded by plenty of goats too so making a good game plan on these animals you know if if they're not bedded in a spot where you can come over a hill and or come up a draw or something like that and get and be within bow range well it might not be worth your time unless you know that they're going to feed down into a certain area and you can kind of cut them off um so just picking the right stocks and and putting in a lot of time so just glassing and and once you find the right one try to take your time you want to get in as quick as possible as quick as possible but you also don't want to you don't want to rush it you know um because if you try to rush a shot or get close enough to one and, and you rush it, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed to just blow the whole situation because it's not like a gun where you can just bump and dump. You know, it's more they got to be they got to be standing up or bedded and not know what's going on. Or if they do know what's going on, you got to be able to shoot them right away. Yeah. So could we back up for just one moment? And you might have said this and I might have missed it. But as far as glassing goes, what particularly are you using? So are you using binos, spotting? Uh, oh, yeah, scope? good question. Yeah, sorry, so, I might have missed that part. 
No, that's all good. Um, so optics are probably one of the most important things you can have out West. Um, I use a spotter and a, and a pair of binoculars. And then obviously I got like a rangefinder, but I don't use that for glassing at all. Um, I, I, I like a 10 power out West. I'm, I've got a 10 by 50 and a 10 by 42. Um, I actually like the 10 by 50s more than the 10 by 42s for truck hunting for sure, because you got such a wider field of view. Um, when I say, I mean a 10 power and then by 50 or by 42 is the objective lens. So that's how big the actual, um, lens is or, um, the glass on the far side of the binocular, you know, that's how the diameter of it. Um, so a little bit bigger is a little bit nicer for drawing in more light late, late, late at night. Um, it brings in more. And then also you've got a wider uh, field of view, so you can look over a lot more country. Um, the thing with binos is you can usually see a lot of animals close up and even far away. But out past about 350, 400 yards, even with high-end binoculars, you know, even if you're rocking swirls or, you know, I guess <laughs> razors like Vortex razors are a step down. That's what I, that's what I have. Um, they're steps down from swirls, but they're still pretty damn high quality. Even past 400 yards, you can't make out a big muley buck, you know, with a 10 power. So I think a, a good spotter is almost essential in, in a lot of the open country. So like I've got a 27 by 60 by 85 um, angled spotter that works incredible. Um, so a lot of times I'll see the animal with my binos and then I'll break out the spotter and break them down and get a little bit better look at them you know and i also like the spotter for my phone scope i can hook my phone up and take pictures of them and videos and all that sort of deal um and then also a lot of those long range spots i mean if you get out past three quarters of a mile to a mile it's it's real hard to pick out deer so if you have a spotter i'll do that a lot of times you know i'll break down the close country with the binos and then the long far country i'll i'll hit knock out the spotter and and just start picking it apart um, and find animals. The nice thing with finding them far is they're usually not going to see you before you see them. So you can make a little get better game plan on them. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, that's some pretty good information. So this is a complete theoretical question, like all okay. hypothetical. Would you ever consider spot and stalking a white tailed deer in Minnesota? In Minnesota? Yeah. If the scenario was right. Absolutely. Um, white tails are pretty wiry though <laughs> they are they're pretty difficult yeah um but yeah i would i would i would always consider it never leave that out of your you know you want your playbook to be full of different options and i wouldn't throw it out i, I can honestly say i haven't really done much spot and stock in minnesota um, a lot more stand hunting and 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 i guess for a bow a lot more stand hunting i've shot a few you know with a muzzleloader and gun still hunting you know walking through the woods real slow um and then glassing and then maybe jumping one up but with the bow it's it's definitely doable and people do it but i think that would be a very situational based thing like if a doe is locked down with a buck buck somewhere you know in a random spot maybe a crp field it'd be a great time to go in and spot and stock you know so just kind of situational but yeah absolutely keeping the cards yeah i just always thought that'd be like crazy hard to do because you know you're sitting there in, in a tree and they still have quite the time look finding you with their eyes and then smelling you and just like adding all that together with you making somewhat a little bit of noise just 
it seems like a recipe for a little bit for disaster for me, but right. maybe yep. I'm not and quite quite careful enough. Whoever whoever can do that, that's impressive to me. It's like somebody that can spot and stock an antelope and shoot it with their bow. That I haven't done that yet. I've missed three times. And <laughs> yeah, I it's incredible to even get in bow range. I, I I amazed myself by getting in bow range. Well, I got in bow range I think six times, but even then I was like, how in the heck am I getting this close? But <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's. Uh... Let me take a look here. We got we got some more, and this is gonna right be it's gonna be really big, uh, really big segment. So, um, don't be afraid. We can do another kind of half segment, I guess you could call it. You know, like we did with broadheads. Um, this is gonna be a tough one. <laughs> Explain packs, how to pack them, and especially when packing out with your animal. Right. Um. That's that's a big one. Um. A lot of people say the three most important things are your boots, your pack, and your optics. Um, and a pack is pretty essential if you're going to be doing anything off the road at all. Um, so I guess for packs, there's a lot of different styles, a lot of different brands, companies, whatever out there. Um, like Kafaru, Mystery Ranch, Stone Glacier, you know, Initial Ascent. Um, just, there's a ton of them out there. Um, right now I've got a Mystery Ranch. I got a, I got a pretty good discount on on a few of their packs, I got, I think like 35% off retail or something like that. So I picked up a, a, a good frame and, and three different backpacks, but um, really a lot of them are the same. Um, and so there's kind of different styles. So there'd be an internal frame pack, which doesn't have a fit frame um, on the outside. It's built in to the backpack. And then there's, you know, external frame, which is like a big metal um, or some sort of, um, frame to it, I guess, that your shoulder straps attached to, which is a little better for heavy animals or heavy packs. And then there's kind of this in between um, that a lot of companies have now, which is it's it's a mix of the two. So your backpack hooks onto the frame. It's a real lightweight frame. When you kill an animal, the the pack detaches from the frame, and they call it a load carrier shelf. So you put your animal right in between the backpack and the frame of the pack, um, and cinch it down. And that's where your heavy load goes. So your meat, your quarters, all that stuff goes in between the backpack and the actual frame of the pack. So that's pretty that's, neat. Yeah, it, it, it works pretty slick. Um, I've done it with quite a few animals. Um, and yeah, it works really well. That's that's pretty much the basics to it. Um, you know, depending on, it's a lot of trial and error, honestly, you know, and there's a lot of videos out there talking about it. But when I pack my pack, I always try to have, um, enough stuff to stay alive, you know? Um, and then, you know, my, my, my kill kit, I call it. So my kit that I have, um, for the animal. So I'll keep my license, a pen in there. Cause a lot of States, Minnesota, you don't, but a lot of States, you have to sign your license and validate it. Um, some tape, my game bags, a good knife, and then a couple, um, plastic contractor bags, you know, um, garbage bags to throw the game bags into. So I don't get my pack all bloody. Um, and so that's kind of like my kill kit. And then um, I'll keep, you know, whatever whatever other things I need. So a lot of water, some food, a um, couple knives. Always have a couple compasses. Usually I usually carry at least three compasses with me because um, you never know if your phone's going to shit out on you or whatever, and especially out west, you need to be ready. I carry three headlamps with me. Um, I overdo it on pretty much everything. I'm very prepared. Um, and then hey, there's nothing wrong with that. 
Yeah. And then, um, my first aid stuff, you know, I, I carry a tourniquet, I carry a quick clot combat gauze, um, to pack a wound. And then I carry, um, um, Colban, which is basically stretchy, um, kind of tape stuff that you, um, you can just put on just about anything. So I put on my rifle, um, barrel the other time when I was out there to keep snow out, but it's very good for, if you have to pack a wound, um, it's very good to get a nice tight um, pack and hold that combat gauze in. If you don't have like an Israeli or a pressure dressing with you, um, I'm, I'm a medic in the guard. So I kind of know <laughs> a little more yeah, on that. You're um, familiar with that. Huh? On that, that trauma stuff. But mm-hmm. I think once I went through that, a lot of that training stuff, I, I think that, that a lot of that stuff is essential to carry, you know, like a tourniquet. That's a pretty basic thing. If you know how to use it, it can save your life pretty easily, especially if you're, screwing around with broadheads and knives and even guns you know chances are pretty slim of you blowing your leg off or getting shot by somebody but if you do tourniquet's a pretty slick way to, to save your life um that's the same with combat guys and a and a pressure dressing um pretty basic stuff but i always carry that i carry it right on my belt of my pack so my pack has some molly on it and you know i i've got a tourniquet holder and then i've got a another um just a little pouch that goes on the other side of my belt that has my combat guys, pressure dressing, and then I keep my cold band in my pack. Um, so that's kind of my first aid stuff on a little day hunt in the truck. I'll carry a little more extensive stuff, you know, antibiotic stuff, um, ibuprofen, just the real basics, you know, in case you get hemmed up, if you're going back country, you're going to need a little more, you know, going to need some antidiarrheals and stuff like that, um, to be prepared. Um, and then one thing that I always have is my garment in reach um so i have a vinyl harness that i put on the on my chest that carries my binoculars and some real basic stuff so a knife a couple compasses um if i'm gun hunting a couple shells and then in the front of it i keep a garment in reach which is uh it's kind of like a satellite phone so um it's pretty much an oh shit um device so if you need help in your back where a lot of these times you don't have cell coverage you know it has an sos button on it um, and it'll call in, you know, life flight to you if you need it or something like that. Cause if you're by yourself and anything can happen out there, you know, you break your leg or you, you break your ankle or you stab yourself or cut a tendon or something, you know, a lot of times you're not gonna be able to walk out, you know, and you're gonna need some help and family's not right next to you to help you out. So you gotta be prepared. So that's one thing that I would definitely recommend if you're going to go out, um, is to have some sort of a satellite, um, phone or rescue, um, device. Yeah, all serious, all like seriousness aside, accidentally pocket dialing that SOS button would be one very expensive button push. They they keep it, um, yeah. So I haven't had to do it luckily yeah. ever, um, but it's pretty tucked up, and you know you have to open it up. Okay, and okay. It, and then they they confirm that you need help, and then they kind of gotcha. <laughs> uh, an operator will come on, and then you kind of walk through it, and they'll tell you what you need to do initially. It's almost like a nine one one operator, That's cool. you know. Um, and then if you do need a life flight or mm-hmm. rescue, they'll send it in. Yeah, it's going to be very expensive, but yeah. your life is probably worth a little more than the thousands of dollars you're going to spend. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was thinking like, you know, pocket dialing is always such a hard thing to do when you actually have the button, the, the phones that have the push buttons. And right. I can imagine just like pocket dialing, like the SOS and like having a yeah. helicopter flying. 